You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast for the independent mind and anyone who embraces life despite its absurdities. Join former attorney and professor turned Japanese papermaker Mark Reed each week as he talks with creative, inspiring, and influential people, or as he shares his own research to help make your world a little better today than it was yesterday. Hey, here we are. Before we get started, I'd like to give a quick shout out to three new supporters of the show. Fred Etter became a Patreon supporter. Thank you so much, Fred. And Alicia and Keith Brewer made a one-time donation through Red Circle. That's the podcasting host of this show. And, and you can do either, folks. Your donations help keep the show going. Literally, they do. Not only does it help take care of the actual financial expense related to producing the show, show does cost money, uh, it also keeps the show going in that it is encouraging to receive support. Nothing makes my day more than knowing that I've had an impact on someone, whether that is some inspiration or just being entertaining. I think we need both in our lives. With that, on with the show. So I often get asked uh, how I find my guests. And uh, and these days I actually get approached quite a bit, which is nice. Uh, I guess the show's doing all right. And, um, you know, I get approached so that they want to be a guest. But I, I'm also always on the lookout for a new story, a new person. And so the general answer I give about how I find people is that I look for one of two things, an influential person, like uh, an entrepreneur, an artist, an author, a coach, a leader, or a good story. Then I occasionally find a diamond in the rough, someone who's both influential and interesting. David Lomax has been a leader in a variety of industries. You will soon learn an engineer, a coach, a contract negotiator, a recruiter, adept at uh, employment law in multiple international jurisdictions, including Hong Kong, the UK, the EU, the US, Canada, Australia. But his overall life story is fascinating as well. Born in the UK, he moved to Zambia as a young lad. He uh, was an engineer in the Royal Air Force before beginning his flying career in the 80s. He saw active service in the air and on the, or on the ground in the Falklands, Bosnia, Kosovo, Iraq, Afghanistan. It's a pleasure and honor to spend some time with him today. He joins me now from Hong Kong. Welcome, David Lomax. Cheers, Mark. Thanks very much. That's a lovely intro. I did. Oh, God, I sound far, way more interesting than anybody else. <laughs> and you forgot you did all that stuff, huh? <laughs> well, I don't, know about, I don't know about forget. I think it's what, um, probably what forms us and molds us into the people that we, that we become. Mm, well said. What do you think uh, that you garnered from an upbringing of this sort, like compared to, say, just, you know, your, your run-of-the-mill regular old suburban rearing? I mean, there's not anything wrong with that. I've brought up in a kind of regular old suburban upbringing, but I, too, later sought adventure in my life. But, but the way that your young childhood went, what are mm. the benefits of that? And, and maybe what are the drawbacks, too? Yeah, so I, I think the, the, the big benefits is being able to sort of, um, you know, there aren't many things that phase me uh, in life nice. and, and, that's, and that's carried on, you know, so nothing sort of shocks me too much. And, and, and later on in life in, in various places, particularly in uh, sort of Afghanistan and places, I saw right. things that you know, I wouldn't want to see again. But You're later on after yeah. that, well, after those events, you know, people when I was working at Cathay, when I was uh, head of ground training there, the, um, 
people used to walk into my office and say, you know, with their problem and and go and put it on the table and, and they go, well, you don't look very surprised, Dave, you know, and I go, well, there aren't many things that make me raise my eyebrows anymore. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. you know, so, so I think, I think they're part of the development of life and, and it stands you in, that stood me in good stead. Mm. The problems, uh, I think the negatives is that you don't get the chance to form long-term friendships and relationships. Mm. And I, you know, you get itchy feet. Yeah. Uh, you know, after, after a certain amount of time, you you go, you know, okay, I've been here three years now. Okay, it's time to. What's uh, next? I need, to, I need to. Yeah, I need to do something else. And that, and that's it's that sort of wanderlust type feeling. Yeah. Uh, and and Lomaxes by their nature actually are, are known as um, sort of wanderers and Nom- you know, nomadic people. <laughs> nomad. Yeah, a bit yeah. nomadic. Yeah. So because Lomax Lomax Village actually still exists in North Manchester. Oh, okay. and, Lomax, and Lomax Farm, that's where we came from. So uh, we've managed to trace it back, I think, uh, to 1107, wow. uh, the family name. So, And we were given some land by Richard de Berry, who was a Norman knight from the Norman Conquest from oh, wow. 1066. <laughs> uh, and, and obviously where the name Berry comes from in North Manchester. Uh, and, and so that, that, that's where the family originates. Uh, so mm. it's a Saxon name originally. Um, yeah, it's, it's all sort of you know. Ooh, that's interesting. You know, well, it, it is fascinating, especially you know, from a, a yank, uh, you know, from a bloody yank. Um, it's all fascinating. Who's? I mean, my origins are uh, you know from uh, the British Isles. I can't pinpoint it anywhere as well as you can, or you know, it's not as well documented. Um, let's let's talk about your service. So you you were in the Falklands. That's also fascinating to me. I'm a bit yeah. of a, a student of history. For those unaware, um, you know, the UK and Argentina had a, a spat in the, uh, if you want to call it that, in the early 80s, an undeclared war, so to speak, over mm-hmm. some disputed territory, some islands there off the coast of Argentina. We won't rehash the details of that dispute, but what did you do there? And were you flying at the time? No, no I was an engineer. So I, so I joined the Air Force. I was, um, I was effectively one of the last or the sort of boy entrance so I was 16 just uh, when I joined the Air Force yeah um, and I'd actually been to the careers office when I was 15 and they told me come back when you're old enough Sonny sort of thing you know so uh, the, the chief that was the recruiter in uh, in the office in Stockport uh, and because I was 16 my dad had to come with me and sign the forms and when I went you know went and raised the right hand and swore allegiance to the Queen and everything at the oath in Fountain Street in Manchester he, came, he had to come with me uh, you know so <laughs> And then the very next day, uh, in fact, it was the day before my 17th birthday, uh, my mum and dad took me to Piccadilly Station in Manchester, put me on a train, and that was it. I was, uh, you know, that was boot camp sort of thing. So, wow. Yeah, so that was effectively waving goodbye to my childhood, I suppose. Yeah. Um, right so mum, Yeah, embarrassingly, my mum says, you know, oh, you went away a boy and came back a man, you know, sort of eight weeks later after boot camp. And, and <laughs> actually, I probably did. I, I probably matured more in those eight weeks than, you know, than anything else. Sure. Um, it, it, so you, you, a huge, huge amount of growing up. And we were actually in Sicily in uh, at Naval Air Station Sigonella mm-hmm. uh, uh, on the 2nd of April, 1982. Uh, and the signal came in at sort of two o'clock in the morning. The Argentinians have invaded the Falklands. Right. Uh, and I, yeah, I, you know, my geography was obviously completely crap then. So I went, <laughs> what are they doing invading islands off the coast of Scotland? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. As, as did a lot of the British public, I'm fairly sure. sure. Um, so anyway, eventually we sort of went, okay, oh, it's down there. Oh, my, that's a long way. So it's 12,000 miles from the UK. Right. There you go. Okay. 
what are we going to do so then we got this okay return to back to the uk uh, as soon as you can okay so we go back to the uk and then basically it's the task force was announced margaret thatcher was the prime minister at the time uh you know the iron lady that she's not right. returning and and basically set to send you know thousands of men by ships and, and whatever uh over many weeks twelve thousand miles to go and basically fight a bit of a ding dong and you go <laughs> okay fine um so i ended up uh there was seven of us we went to a place called pontus arenas in chile and the idea was to set up a forward operating base okay but it wasn't long before we realized i mean it was the wettest muddiest place i've ever been to in the world it was just hideous um but it was um it was very very close to where there was an argentinian base because it was just across the border mm. so they could quite easily strike our aircraft if they were sat on the ground sure. so we went there and then we were there about 10 days i think and then we went back to the uk so that was a bit of a wasted trip um and then the other bits and pieces was um going to ascension island basically and 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 working on airplanes there you know but it but surreal stuff uh, as you know there was an air raid warning we'd been there about three days and basically somebody threw a weapon at you and said go and hide in the hills you know <laughs> it was just i mean it was it was almost you know uh, tommy goes to war in world war ii type yeah, stuff. I mean, it yeah. Was comical yeah it's not like i mean everything seems well i i don't know i can't speak to it from firsthand experience but uh, you know these days in in modern and postmodern warfare almost you know everyone's assignment is down to laser detail and uh but back then i mean that's that's just a few years after like the vietnam war where uh, from yeah. the us perspective nobody knew what they were doing where they were going you know it was just uh so a lot of adjustments have been made from, you know, back around that time to what it is now. What yeah. about uh, what about Bosnia and Kosovo? How how was that? Um, right. So uh, so that well, be, uh, so before that, there was Iraq, which was Gulf War okay. One. Uh, oh, oh, the first one. Okay, the nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One. So um, so that was uh, that was what I was flying, um, okay. uh, and that was basically as a the airplane it's a large airplane crew of 13 uh, so as a, a sort of a comms relay sort of operations an airborne command center type thing mm -hmm. um so that that's what we were doing there um and one of the things was uh, you know because uh, i'm sure most people remember the road to basra which was yep. uh, you know the, you know i mean carnage sort of thing yeah um so when we always used to get, you know, fighters, you know, come up and they, basically they ask for, do you have any trade? Meaning, do you have any tasking for us? Mm -hmm. And you go, no, we don't. Or yes, we do. And you just direct them onto, onto whatever it was. Anyway, we've got this B-52 uh, who is fully, fully armed, fully loaded wow. with however many weapons they carry. Um, and he, he came up and he just said, have you got any trade? And we went, no. About 10 minutes later, he comes back. Have you got any trade? No, I mean, this guy just was not going to go away. He was just desperate up. to release yep. all his weapons. Yeah, that's horrible. Uh, yeah. So, so we, we said, oh, any, okay, have you got any trade? I'll tell you what, why don't you go and recce the road? Mm. Okay. So as in, you know, reconnoiter the road. Right. He comes back 20 minutes later. Okay, I've wrecked the road. He dropped the whole lot. Wow. 
<laughs> and, and for people who aren't familiar with this, uh, this, this, basically the Iraqi troops that had been stationed in the southern portion of Iraq, you know, in Kuwait, had, well, in Kuwait, they were, they were, they were running away. Basically, right. I was going to say they had been in Kuwait or they were in the bottom of Iraq. And so now they're fleeing and they're trying to get back up to Baghdad or wherever. And there's essentially just one road. So the, the, um, coalition forces, the U S the UK, I mean, literally could have even done more than they did. I mean, a, tons of Iraqis were killed. Uh, um, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but I mean, they were just lined up on the road and the coalition had air superior, uh, superiority. So could have just like just shooting ducks in a barrel could have just you yep. know, taken them all yeah. out. Yeah. And that, and, and that pretty much sums it up actually, Mark. Yeah. yeah. yeah sadly. Yeah. 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 Um, wow. That is, uh, it is fascinating stuff. Um, well, what do you do now? Uh, I mean, bring us to the present. You're in Hong Kong. You coach people, you coach businesses. Um, how, <clears throat> excuse me, how, how do you do that? <laughs> do you help the businesses or a specific individual lay out a roadmap for success in their life? How does that work logistically? Yeah, the, the, well, both, both individuals and businesses, really. Um, you know, it's, it's, everybody needs help, uh, and particularly when there's a ch- change or transformation going on, and that's, that's where my sort of thing is that's what floats my boat if you like right um and, and the people side of of change because there's always resistance to change we you know we're, we're stubborn animals right we, do, we don't like change right um so it's it's getting it's basically getting people and teams to have to get enough skin in the game so that they feel they own the change and they're part of the change and they so it's it's an education a communication exercise mm-hmm. um on an individual basis uh well, there's a, in fact, a young lady that lives just uh, two buildings down now. She's just started her own business here because uh, the, the previous owner was basically selling up shop and, you know, she didn't want to be out of a job. So, um, so she basically bought the business and is now running it herself. So I've, I've sort of mentored her, if you like, with, uh, you know, how to, how to do stuff and, you know, who do you need to speak to? Uh, you know it's, it's it's really really about you know helping people be the best that they can be so they you know they feel that they've achieved something yeah um you know and and you know 75 percent of change transformations fail and the biggest reason is is because people don't get the buy-in of the people that they're changing they they think oh we'll introduce a new piece of software which will make things great it's got all the bells and whistles but they haven't actually spoken to the people that use that that piece of software you know how do you how do you want to use it what what do you need it to do they just think because they're spending a lot of money on some it bit that you know it's going to solve everything and and it's not it's not well that i like the people are what make businesses work yeah i like the 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 phrasing used before own own the change um and that this is a good kind of segue to the the last thing I do in each uh, um, episode is a, I call it five minutes Zen. It doesn't really have anything to do with Zen philosophy. It doesn't have to. Uh, the aim is really to simplify life a bit with practical down to earth advice. So with that in mind, I, I know you've got three decades of experience managing change and, uh, and whether that's in the form of your service in the RAF or in corporate life or coaching individuals. And so, so many people desire change in their, in their own personal lives. Right. And they, they seriously don't know how to do it or where to even start. You, you said in one place, um, change without a clearly articulated story can be messy. And it's no surprise that many 
change initiatives don't deliver. Mm. What simple advice can you give us for clearly articulating our own story in order to make appropriate change in our lives? Yeah. So, so personal change in your life is you have to identify what, what you'd like to change first. You know, what's, what's not right. What's not feeling right. There's, you know, there's sometimes we all feel a bit meh about stuff. You know, we, we, we don't feel great and we, we realize that we have to do something and, and that could be, you know, something as simple as, okay, I've got to start getting up on time or I've got to, you know, I've got to start doing some exercise or, or whatever it's, it's commitment. But the first thing is identifying what the change has to be, mm. uh, you know, so, so that people uh, have an idea of what, what, what can be achieved. Yeah. Um, Maybe even it, keep it simple at first. I don't know. You know keep it first. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah and, and absolutely keep it simple because as soon as you start making, you know, multi-layered plans and, you know, project timelines and everything. Oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. It overwhelms people. Right. You know, because, it, and, and you, in, in many businesses, and one of the companies that I worked for previously, that there was almost this sense of change fatigue, you know, <laughs> so where, you know, you, you, it's just change for change's sake. Well, well, we, well hang on. There's no, there, there was no period of stability. Right. There was no settling in period to then identify, did that change actually work? Mm. You know, we've just done a load of change. How do we know it works? Because it has to be measurable. It has to be mm. a, you know, and especially if you spent money, there has to be a return on investment. Right. You know, so, and it couldn't be something as simple as, um, in fact, just earlier on this morning, uh, we have a, we've got our own internal buses here at, at Discovery Bay in, in Hong Kong, because uh, private cars aren't allowed or anything. And there's, it's a real, it was planned as a resort. It's one of these places with golf carts and all that sort of oh. stuff. <laughs> um, it's, it's a bit odd. Um, many describe it as the Truman Show, you know, it's right first places, <laughs> everybody, you know, it's, it's a bit like that. Um, but what they've done is the, the company that runs this place as a, as a resort as a, and the transportation system, they've automated this hire car system now before you, it was like an internal taxi you just rang a number young lady or man would answer the phone and you say i'd like a hire car to go from this block to this block or where, wherever it is it was only internal mm -hmm. uh, and it worked really really well really really well what they've done is they've automated it and they've now got a, a very nice transportation app and you can book a hire car okay but all it ever tells you is it's waiting waiting to be booked, waiting to be confirmed. It doesn't tell you, yes, okay, it's done. So you sat there going, okay, shall I go downstairs and get the bus or shall I go and get the hire car or wait or, you know, and miss my appointment? Because, you know, you could be going to the doctors or whatever. So when you introduce something, you have to look at it and go, did it make a difference? And right. was that difference worthwhile? Right. Because or if it wasn't or maybe, worthwhile, why did we change it? Right. Or even make the problem worse or create a, yeah. you know, are you creating a new problem if you're solving yeah. one, but creating another one? <laughs> yeah. 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 So now, now, you know, you, you do this thing on, on the, on the, uh, on the online app and you go, okay, uh, I, I don't know whether the higher cars come in or not. I'll tell you what, I'll just go and get the bus. <laughs> well, there you go. You know, and and the is thing is then, the, well, the company is then losing out because the higher right. car is more expensive. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah. And, and you're, you're inconvenienced because you've got to leave earlier or later or whatever to, you know, to meet a bus schedule rather than a driver coming and picking you up. Right. Uh, so, so when, when you, when you change something, has it had the desired effect? The only desired effect it's had is it's got rid of the young person that was on the end of the phone. 
Mm. So they're now out of a job. Right. So, so I guess, maybe that was the end, maybe that was the end game. Yeah. So I guess in a nutshell, you're saying first identify the change that you want, and then yeah. and then secondly, you know, observe or analyze is is it affecting the change we want? Like whatever changes you make, well, is is that working or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 like you say, you know, little keep it simple, little steps, make a incre- an incremental change, right, and see what effect that has. Right. If if it hasn't had the desired effect, okay, right, okay. Either go back to where you were and start again, or make a different change or another change. Mm. But these these things, you know, when I said seventy five percent of change projects fail, and and I actually think it's probably higher than that. Uh, the, the problem is, is it's it's a massive change. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's it, you know, there's there's and there's no proper assessment at any stage that you know okay we're, we're six weeks into the change and we've changed these bits how's that going <laughs> right yeah. is, has that made a difference or has it made things worse right and then right. I mean, and maybe Sarah sort of at that point they're all in like they've invested so much in this radical change right you know without considering so, so then then you, then you get sunk cost bias you get you get all you know all the little things well i've already paid you know a gazillion dollars for this piece of kit right and you know i can't turn it off you know because i don't <laughs> want to lose that two million dollars but the problem is if you if you carry on you install that piece of kit whatever it might be or that change and then it hasn't worked well guess what you're gonna have to spend some more, more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's good. It's good uh, uh, words of wisdom there. So, what um, you're you're working on a book now? Uh, I am. Uh, in fact, it's something I've been working on for a while. It's one of those. In actual fact, it was a. It started off as a sort of a cathartic experience to 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 rid myself of the the horror and the nightmare of Afghanistan. To be honest, uh-huh. uh, it, it it was. I've never seen such abject poverty and cruelty in one place oh wow uh it, it, it's it, it's just a it's the it's a surreal place um you know and i was i because i'd i i was i'd been ill in the air force and I'd lo- i lost my uh, my flying medical so i couldn't fly anymore mm-hmm. um and that, basically i thought that was the end of my career the air force went well we need people in this specialization so rather than say look we're looking for knackered old aviators to come and man this new branch they said we're looking for experienced aviators to come and man this new branch mm-hmm. and i went yeah okay sign me up what it did was it opened up lots of opportunities so i went to bosnia on the ground i went to afghanistan on the ground uh, kosovo places like that but but running airfields and operations and stuff like that but afghanistan was just uh, it was it was horrendous i mean i've never been so frightened in my life wow we took fire nearly every day if not every day and you know, we lost good people. Right. Uh, you know, it, it was just—it was just a shocking experience. I, I can't. Imagine. Sometimes I, just, I can't put it into words. And, yeah. and some things, like I said, you know, it's, yeah, I saw some things, and you just go, oh, no, "I don't want to see that again." Yeah. And, and, and nobody should see that again. And when I came back from there, I so my my ex son-in-law, in fact, he did seven tours in Afghanistan. Wow. And he, he right, I, I I did two. Uh, and you just go, oh, it, I mean, I was wired for sound. He was nuts. Yeah, you know, I, he was out. He was out there. He needed help. 
I have a I have a uh, friend who was a, a tank commander in the Marine Corps, and he uh, he did uh, in the U.S. Marine Corps, and he um, he did tours in uh, he was in Fallujah in Iraq, and uh, and then he did uh, at least one, if not multiple, tours in Afghanistan, and he really can't mm. talk about the stuff. I mean, he he he's very candid yeah. with me when when and where he can be, but there's you know I can tell there's some just deep stuff that he's not even ready to, or, you know, he might need, I don't want to yeah. sit here in case he listens to this and say he needs help, but you know, you know, he, I'm sure he's dealing, he's dealing with the stuff he's seen. And uh, yeah. And I don't want to, you know, as a kid, and I'll wrap it up after this, but you know, as a, as a young man, I like many other say American young men, I'm sure all, you know, fellas from the West, like all of us, we see like war movies and stuff and we, mm. it's glorified, uh, glorified. And you, mm. you, you get these images of like, you know, like, yeah, I want to, you know, and, and I, I do, um, admire people who, uh, spend time in the service. It's, it's throughout my family history, but my, the point I'm getting at is, you know, I would look at war movies and I, uh, would think, you know, oh, this is exciting. I want to do this. And, to, and I don't know why this one particular, but I saw Black Hawk Down, and it's where yeah. they're in um, Mogadishu and uh, uh, Somalia. And mm. for some reason, that movie, the reality of being like pinned down in a war zone, it mm. hit me in a way that no other movie had. And it was like, from that moment, I would, I would, was worthless to the military after I saw that movie because I want no part of war. I want no part. I and I'm not a, I, I'm not an ultra, uh, you know, anti-war. But sometimes wars are necessary, and in certain instances, when you've got like people, people like Putin doing what he's doing, you know, sometimes military <laughs> conflict is is inevitable. So, um, but I never want to see well what you've seen. I never want to see it. No, no, and and the, the problem is you you can't unsee it, and that. There's a, you know, there's a, there's a guy that posts stuff on LinkedIn. Uh, he's ex-military, ex-British Army, and 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 just sort of humorous type stuff, you know. But and usually they're bits of kit that have, you know, they've fallen by the wayside. They're they're years old. If you were in serving in the 70s, 80s, you probably recognise them or whatever. And it, and he just says, if you know, you know, sort of yeah. thing, you know. And then, and then the, we're all saying, oh yeah, remember that or remember this or or, or whatever. But there are some things that you you just don't want to remember, and it's in the eyes, yeah. right? You can you can you you know when you meet other people that have served in places like that, it's in the eyes, and you don't have to say anything. Yeah, yeah. I bet. Well, uh, if if people want to follow you, uh, is LinkedIn the best place to find you? Yeah, yeah. I only do LinkedIn. I refuse point blank to have a Facebook account. It's, uh, <laughs> Good for you. I've, <laughs> I've, I've seen the da- I've seen the damage it's caused. <laughs> I'm I'm only there, uh, you know, because of this podcast. And but Eve, I'm on. And but actually, I'm not even there for the sake of the podcast anymore. Because if I post something, I won't. I'll cut this part out. But I'm just going to tell you now anyway. The uh, <laughs> the algorithm is so screwed up i can post the exact same thing on linkedin and fecal book i call it fecal book uh on you know shit shit book i can post it there or on linkedin the exact same caption same picture video whatever and i kid you not david it on let's say on facebook it gets four likes and uh 
23 views. Let's just ballpark it there. That yep. one on LinkedIn, I'll get 18,000 views and 270 yep. likes. And I'm not going for likes, but I, I do promote a podcast. I need people to see it. And so the mm -hmm. Facebook algorithm won't put it in front of eyes, whereas mm -hmm. the, the LinkedIn one or a couple of other platforms do a better job. Facebook is crap. Anyway, that's my two yen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I've been, I've been on, that's okay. I've been on LinkedIn since it started and it's, uh, I, I, I mean, it's changed dramatically over the years. Uh, it's way better now than it, than it was. And that's because people are being more personable. Per, that's it. And I was going to use the same word because I knew LinkedIn years ago and it was like, oh, this is just a resume website, but yeah. now yeah. it's like a, a, a true, it's the social media that I, like to see but without the 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 junk of twitter and facebook and all that stuff so yeah yeah exactly exactly well uh well, that will have to be all folks um you know make implemental changes in your life but do make them simple and uh, uh identify what change you want and take small steps in that direction and observe the whole time are those changes doing what you want them to do um, you can help this show change and evolve and get better and get more people like David uh, on the show here for just three bucks. Well, it's free. You can listen for free, but if you got three bucks, which is nothing, go to patreon.com slash Zen sandwich and become a Zen sandwich supporter. I always hope to remain ad free uh, other than doing this little mini pledge drive here at the end. When you sign up, I will mail you a postcard on washi. That's traditional handmade Japanese paper that my wife and I make here in Japan. And I will send that postcard to wherever you are in the world. And I'll give you a shout out on the show. David, thanks so much for your time and insight. It's, uh, it's really been, uh, it's greatly appreciated and it's an amazing story. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.